guys, welcome again to the Salt City Church Podcast. Again, I'm live from Rhonda the Honda in an undisclosed location. And one of the things I've missed about being in this quarantine mode is going on road trips with friends, new and old. So I feel like I'm on a road trip today with a friend that I just met 15 minutes ago, but have been impacted by his ministry for a long time. So if you would welcome Zach Swine to the podcast with me. Hey, Zach. Hey, very good. Very good to be with you all. Glad to be introduced to Rhonda today. That's awesome. It is great to have you digitally sitting shotgun in Rhonda the Honda. And we were just catching up before we went live. We both Ball State grads. Mm -hmm. We both lived in La Follette, which is a dorm, kind of a legendary dorm on Ball State's campus. We both lived in Clevenger Hall. And so we were almost roommates, like 20 years apart, but we were almost roommates in college. So I feel like we're, we're good friends, ready for this conversation. Um, but you were just sharing with me kind of a little bit of your God story that was developing at Ball State. Can you share that with all of us a little bit? Yeah, I was, uh, I, I come from a really broken home. You know, I grew up with uh, three divorces and five marriages and, uh, when I was with one side of the family, it was a very you know secular family, uh, not interested or actively resistant to Jesus. And then the other side of the family was almost hyper-spiritual, uh, the other side. And so I was an earnest uh, desirer of God, was working hard, hoping he would like me. And uh, I was in a, a church that uh, taught me to work hard to get God to notice me. And I was doing the best I could to do that. and. Uh, at Ball State, a uh, um, couple things happened. Uh, a friend at the time uh, sent, asked me to read the book of Hebrews in the Bible. And, uh, and then a, a campus minister named Bob Smart was sharing his uh, time in life. He and his wife, Karen, sharing their time in life with me. And the combination of that, I realized that uh, God loved me and uh, that uh, I couldn't measure up uh, to him. And all the effort I was trying to do that was wearing me out, he never intended for me, and that he had given his own son for me. And uh, that changed everything. So, yeah, uh, been, been, been uh, from an early age, wanted to seek God. Uh, and, but I was uh, 18 or 19 years old before I understood that God had been seeking me that whole time. And, and since that time, you've been uh, a seminary professor, you're a pastor, you've, you've written some books. And one of the things that, that you just said reminded me of kind of one of the hallmarks of your ministry, which has been uh, talking about the humanity of us as people. Why is it important that we understand that we are human beings well it's like um uh, man that's such a good question and the first the first answer would be uh, uh so that we can align with what's true about stuff you know when god when god wanted to do a big thing the first thing he did was uh you know create physical life and uh physical people and the big thing that he had for them to do was to cultivate a garden and do life together. And, uh, you know, the Lord gave them and all of us uh, a place to be, a people to love and a thing to do. And all of that in the physical world. 
as physical creatures. And so, uh, boy, there's a lot of rest in that. Uh, a lot of versions of, 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 of even faithful Christianity, a lot of, uh, a lot of vibe within Christianity is that we got to somehow become other than human or superhuman. We have to, you, you, you have to be somebody other than who you are, some, somewhere other than where you are doing something other than what you're doing in order to be on mission for God, you know? And, uh, whew, that just, man, it's hard enough just to do a day, uh, without all that. Uh, so it's nice, nice to be reminded that, uh, God delights in the physical world. He created the sun because he enjoys it. And, uh, and he created us because he delights in it. And, uh, he taps his foot when we sing because he created music and, uh, er everything we, we enjoy all the good things, every good thing comes from him. And so, uh, it can be easy to begin to try to spiritualize life and, uh, and once we start to do that, we're, we're sort of fading from Christianity. You know, we're moving into Eastern religions, which uh, downplay the physical or Western philosophies, which downplay the physical or, yeah, we just get to be all in uh, flesh and bone and soul. And um, yeah, so. Yeah, I want to say thank you so much for keeping that in front of me personally. That's been hugely impactful to my life. And, you know, I decided that as a church, we would study through the book of Ecclesiastes for the next 10 weeks. And, and so I cracked open your commentary, which it was really fun for me because every time I crack open one of your books, it, it's, it's just water to my soul. It's, it's just such a gift. And as I opened that up, um, I immediately began to be convicted again by this reality of the sin of my own ambition. And, and how much I want to turn this world into something that it's not meant to be. How would you describe the message of Ecclesiastes for those who have almost no familiarity with it? Yeah, wow. Well, it's like, uh, first of all, it's like uh, you're reading someone's personal journal. So it's like their vlog, you know, they're they're just telling you what they think and what they see every day and what they're experiencing. Um, you know, we just saw this new show called Shack Life, and it's just following Shack around, you know, in his life. Ecclesiastes is like that, but it's with Solomon, uh, uh, a king, uh, or as some scholars think, someone um, writing in Solomon's behalf. And uh, so that's the first thing. Very raw. The other thing about it is uh, it's a raw journal. So he's not filtering out anything. He's letting you hear it straight, you know, what he's, what he's thinking about. And because of that, even though he's a king in Israel, uh, he's made such a wreck of his life uh, that he talks from the vantage point of wreckage uh, as well as beauty. And so, and he's not talking to us like we're spiritual people, like we're, you know, these, like we're all God talkers and stuff like that. He's just talking to us like we're human. And so he starts from that place and he looks out at the experience that all of us have and he points at it and says, what's up with that? And uh, he gives us, by doing that, he gives us language to be able to say, yeah, I've wondered that too. What is up with that? Or to be able to say, yeah, 
man, I have felt the same way. I didn't know I was allowed to talk like that. Um, and, and because of that, uh, not only does, does this book allow us to see the physical world and to see the physical world it was, as it was meant to be and what it's actually become, but also frees us up to be really honest about um, what it's like to be human under the sun. And some of it is really cool. And some of it is, is a wretched thing. And uh, so, yeah, if you want like a personal diary on looking at life as it is, uh, and then in the midst of all that doubt and question, somehow finding faith. Yeah, this is the book for you. Yeah, one of those diary entries that you camp out on in your commentary is when Solomon gets to this point in chapter two, where he says, I hated life. And you put a new category in my brain because you said that there is a wise way to hate life. What is the wise way to hate life? Yeah, he he goes on. It's startling, right? Uh, I hated life. Wow. Does someone who believe in God, are we supposed to talk like that? You know, are we supposed to say, Solomon, you need more faith? And, um, no, it's it's by faith that he says that because he goes on to say, uh, I hated life at seeing what people do to each other, what the 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 wretched business that happens under the sun. And um, I think a lot of us feel that way. If we look out into the world and we see uh, some random shooting at a school, you know, or we hear a story about how parents misuse their children or, uh, or in our own life, uh, a personal friend we've had and some type of uh, really way they've been mistreated uh, by people who were supposed to love them, you know? And then we say, I hate that. I hate it. You know, uh, that's what he's getting at. I, I hate the fact that uh, evil continues under the sun and that um, that things that were meant to be loved and known and held and put together can be unloved and torn down. And I hate that. And he just gives us freedom uh, to hate like that. And now he's not going to uh, take his hatred out on those people. He's like the psalmists do. He's crying it out to God. And But God can take it. We can talk like that. And though it's a wise thing to hate evil stuff, uh, it's a wise thing to hate it when love is broken and people are violated. Uh, it's a wise thing. And so, yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things that you've, you've given me desire for in reading so far in your commentary on Ecclesiastes is, is to kind of job shadow you, like to come along with you in, you know, pastoral visitations and conversations with, with hurting people. Can you just give me a window into how your conversation with hurting people, with doubting people, with people that are at that point where they just hate life, how has that been informed by Ecclesiastes? I, I think uh, in the first place, I don't have to try to fix something 
minimize it, act like it's not true, make sure they have the right answer. Uh, and so instead I get to say, yeah, that is, that is awful. And it's more like um, Job's friends when they got it right. You know, those other aspects of the wisdom literature. When, when Job's friends got it right, they tore their clothes uh, and they wept in silence with Job, you know. And so we just get to start there as human beings. And so the shape that takes is like um, someone asked me uh, just, uh, just a week ago um, about uh, how, do, how are we supposed to understand how God treated um, people at times in the Old Testament, like the walls of Jericho, and all those men, women, and children died. What, how are we supposed to understand that? And I just get to say, my first answer is, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to fully understand that. And I think uh, we're longing for God to relate differently, and we're longing for uh, people to be treated justly, and and so we're reacting to that. And if it's true that God is is a, a temper tantrum uh, God who needs anger management and just wipes people out, I'm with you. I wouldn't want anything to do with that God either. I just get to start there and be as honest as possible, uh, and then say, "But out of everything I don't know, here's a few things we do know." And it's not going to solve everything, but it, it'll at least, I think, move us down the hallway into another room of the house. Uh, and here's some thoughts. Or um, when someone is is sharing something devastating, or a quest, you know, going on in their life, I just we just get to weep with those who weep, uh, yeah. rather than correcting those who weep. Uh, admonishing those who weep, uh, instructing those who weep, like we get to weep with those who weep and follow that biblical command. And, uh, and I would say on the flip side, we get to rejoice with those who rejoice because this uh, thread throughout um, Ecclesiastes that keeps coming back is that the original goods God created in Eden uh, still thrive and uh, are still meant for our glad-hearted enjoyment. And we get to do that without guilt. And mm -hmm. so when someone has something encouraging to say, uh, because they're enjoying a good ordinary thing that God gave us, then we just get to, without guilt, <laughs> cheer and say, yeah, that, mm -hmm. that is awesome. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Ha have there been um, personal moments? You know, I, I, I find the most powerful times when scripture hits me is when it it combines with my experience mm. and as i'm reading your commentary i'm like this isn't a guy who is writing from the standpoint uh, as an academic but is writing from the standpoint of somebody who's lived in this reality mm. can you describe a moment where you hated life just one <laughs> <laughs> yes uh when uh, a very uh dear mentor of mine uh ended his life took his own life i i hated 
what's done under the sun. Uh, when uh, my first marriage imploded and, uh, uh, and mm, my wife walked away from God and walked away from us and the kids and I were trying to figure out uh, life together. Uh, I hated what that meant for them. I hated what it meant about um, me. I hated what it meant about uh, my wife. And we had first, we had at once said we loved each other and loved God. And now one of us didn't love the other or God anymore. And what kind of, what is that in the world? I hated um, how uh, in both of those settings, just as two examples, uh, I hated how some God talkers, even in the name of Jesus, tried to uh, correct or heal or mend that. And uh, there's an old uh, story, an old little parable from the desert fathers and mothers. I don't agree with everything the desert fathers and mothers had to say in the Christian tradition, but they have a lot of little parables that are helpful. And one of them said something like this. There was a man stuck in the mud and his friends came to help him and they only pushed him farther in. <laughs> and uh, so I've hated life sometimes when in the name of help, people have actually brought more hurt. Um, I could go on, but those are some things mm -hmm. I've hated. <laughs> yeah, there, there's just something that has resonated with me so much. I mean, in, in your books that you've written more on pastoral ministry and, uh, and, uh, just personal life with Christ sensing Jesus and the imperfect pastor, and then also in Ecclesiastes and, and you've been a friend to me as I've been through some of those moments of, of hating life. And I wrote, wrote about that to you in, in an email. And, you know, I think of, um, my wife and I went from zero to four kids at once. And the way you do that is your wife gets pregnant with twins with nine months to go in an adoption process. And after a very short time, we found out that our oldest who was adopted also had special needs. And it just, it, it tore me up. I mean, people ask how that year of life was. And I, I, I can hardly even talk about it. And another moment that comes to mind is uh, when my son Jude was born with a congenital heart defect and then died five months later in the first year of church planting. And, and I think those of us who have gone through these things that you're describing and that I'm describing, we need each other to voice them. And there's this fellowship that happens when we just say, I hated life or I hate life. I was just talking to my dad on the phone and he's one year from retirement. And he just said to me, you know, I, I've been working from home for four days because of COVID-19. And I, I'm just realizing even just four days away from my office, I miss my office. And he's looking into retirement and he's saying, I know it's not going to satisfy me. And, and there's just something that resonates with us so much about that. But you began to talk too about rejoicing. So it's not, we do, we do have these moments where we hate life, 
But there's also this theme in Ecclesiastes of, of eating and drinking and rejoicing in our toil. So how does this wise hating of life set us up to rightly enjoy life? Yeah, it's like, um, it's like uh, the, the great adventure that we were meant to have is right in front of us. You know, the, the way it's pictured for us is Matthew McConaughey, all right, all right, all right. And he's, he's out driving in a Lincoln and he's driving all by himself. And uh, maybe he's sitting by a glacier, you know, with a hot coffee, um, but he's by himself. And uh, that, that, um, uh, that commercial series is targeted to millennial men and it's working. Uh, I think the sales have increased by 25% or something like this. Wow. Uh, because what it's saying is there were there, the millennial men who once dreamt they would have an adventure and now they got everything the American dream offered. They, they, maybe they're married, maybe they have a child, maybe they have the job they always wanted, but now what they're experiencing is a grind. It just feels like a grind every day. They do the same thing. And so this is calling back for that adventure. You know what you need? You need a car, man, and you need an open road and you need to get away from all these people and all this stuff and go have the grand adventure you always wanted. Now, what's sad about that is, um, man, does, uh, uh, are there no birthday parties or, or friends or, or something that, that Matthew's representing, you know, and of course I'm not picking on Matthew McConaughey, right? Just, just how the ad pictures things. And, and, uh, and so, uh, you, 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 you combine that with a sense of a loss of wonder, um, that we're bored with things that don't bore God, uh, then it's difficult to see how uh, having to be in a house uh, with ordinary things like a fruit basket with a, a banana and an apple in it and uh, the same person, you know, a child or a spouse or a friend or the same old yard or the same lack of a yard. or It's difficult to see how those things are beautiful and have have joy for us it's difficult if we're white collar folks blue collar folks by and large already know how to enjoy what's in front of them because there's there has never been an upwardly mobile path for them so if you're a construction worker that's what you're going to be the next 40 years and so they they have learned the skill of seeing what's in front of them. And so at lunch, yep. when they have That's a why you got trucks and dogs in country songs, right? That's what it is. Like, what I it just is. like my truck and my, my dog. Truck and I'm my happy. dog. <laughs> uh, right. And 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 the pond where we skinny dipped, it's still there and you know like um yeah. And so Ecclesiastes is one of those uh biblical books that drives home this uh fact that in in the sense of everything that's been lost and all that we give voice to that's difficult and challenging and wretched, there's still all this goodness that won't quit. It just doesn't quit. And um, our children know it best. I have a 14 month old and our 14 month old will read, will want to read the same story about Harry McClary and his little dog friends and Scarface Claw, the toughest Tomcat in town. 
They'll want to read the same story over and over and over and over and over and over. Never gets tired of it. Uh, why? Because it, there's joy in it. There's delight in it. And so um, uh, he gets to occupy his day with that story. And it's, it's uh, of good to him. And we've, a lot of us have just lost the ability to do that. Uh, and that's what I mean. We're actually bored with uh, love. Uh, we're bored with the taste of grapes. Uh, we're bored with uh, uh, a little patch of yard that we have. And these are the things we once dreamt of having. And, and so that would be the other, the other message of Ecclesiastes is that uh, the things God's given us or meant for our enjoyment. Uh, and a lot of us have lost the skill of doing that. And, uh, but they can never be God for us. And so I think of it like trying to play soccer with a watermelon. Uh, I mean, you can kick the watermelon, but the game is over after the first kick. Uh, not because- Or your leg is over. Or your leg. That's right. That's right. And it's not because the watermelon's bad. It's just that a watermelon wasn't made for that game. It was made for something else. And so- if I try to turn, so one thing is I need, I get to recover the guilt-free skill of enjoying a good story over and over and over again. And that's no waste of time. And that's a God-given good. And then I also need help in community recovering the realization that even that goodness is a foretaste. It's a picture that is meant to lift me off of that good to the one who gave it. And uh, so uh, Ecclesiastes points out the, that two-sided problem with joy. Some of us don't enjoy everything good that we have, and that's a problem. Others of us have the good things, uh, you know, so we don't know how to enjoy good things, or we enjoy them uh, and try to make something of them they, were, they can't fulfill. And in both, both cases, each of us are at different places in our life and need, need grace, you know, in those areas. What's something that right now, I mean, I feel like these conditions that we're all living in is the perfect time to apply what you just said. Yeah. How are you enjoying your nice little yard and your nice, like, like what's a recent example for you where you've just been able to delight in the banana or the apple or the whatever it is? Uh, I enjoying our, uh, I enjoy being home for lunch. I'm never home for lunch. Now I'm home. I'm home for lunch every day, except for today. And, and I'm, uh, I said, I have a 14 month old. I, my oldest is 25, then 22, then 16, then 14 months. And, <laughs> and I, and I know without a doubt that I love playing, uh, with the Fisher, Fisher Price little people or whatever they are, the little plastic goats and cows and pigs and all that that we have. I love playing that with my 14 month old in a way that I know I didn't uh, when I was 26 when my first was born. And, mm -hmm. and it's because uh, I now know that this moves fast. And, uh, my 16-year-old sitting right there, 
we're not sitting on the floor reading books, playing. Um, uh, that 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 fades, you know, and uh, and turns into other things that we get to enjoy together. So I don't know. I'm just enjoying that without guilt. I don't feel like it's a waste of time. God created children. God created play. God created a child to know what it's like to be played with by uh, an undistracted parent because God has never been distracted to enjoy good things with you. He's all in. And uh, now I know that more than I did when I was uh, younger. And in a, in a moment like this, it sort of forces the issue. So I don't want to be tried about that. A lot of us will go through a detox. Uh, we'll go through the grieving process. You know, when we first have to encounter every a, a, a house too full rather than a house too empty that others of us have, but a house too full, um, you know, there's, there's shock, denial, <laughs> uh, anger, depression. Uh, suddenly, it's like this. All of our skills prepare us uh, to get somewhere other than where we are. But once we get there, we don't know what to do. And so that's what's happened. There's nowhere mm -hmm. to go. Everybody's coming in, and it's forcing us to relearn the skills of ordinary human life, of, of how, how to uh, uh, stay put in order to get somewhere. And, um, and Ecclesiastes is one of those biblical books that can really help us because mm -hmm. it, yeah. it, it doesn't tell us we have to, uh, act like, oh, this is all easy and good. Uh, it right. just, but it doesn't leave us there either. Have you noticed, um, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm in, I'm 51. I'm a Gen Xer. No one talks about us, but that's another story. Um, <laughs> You're not sour about that. I'm not, I'm not sour about that. I'm not brooding <laughs> and moody about that. Um, right. uh, but have you noticed that um, a lot of times when folks talk about being authentic and being real, what they mean is being honest about every hard thing. Mm. In order for me to be authentic, I have to be honest about every hard thing in my life. Well, Ecclesiastes is going to help you do that, uh, but, uh, but it's also going to push back on our unwise cynicism, and it's going to say, can you be equally authentic about everything good, beautiful, lovely, mm. satisfying? Can you be mm. raw about goodness? Mm. Can you be raw about uh, joy? Mm. And as be, be as thoroughly descriptive about every good thing as you are about every hard thing. And I think Ecclesiastes makes us whole again that way. Um, for those of us who don't want to talk about hard things, Ecclesiastes is in your face talking about hard things. But for those of us who only want to talk about hard things, Ecclesiastes is in our face with ordinary joy. And um, mm. so I think that it can be a, actually a real help to us and our authenticity um, and a real help to those who feel cynical um, uh, and need some help with that. So, mm. yeah, I, I found myself uh, on that point laying on the trampoline in my backyard with three of my kids the other night uh -huh. and just having everybody look up at this big tree. I've got this big tree in my backyard and just all these little branches 
And it's something that I forgot I used to do when I was in college. I used to just go lay under trees and just look at the branches. You know, just every little branch, there are thousands of branches. And you just look at something that seemingly is insignificant. But if you just stare at anything hard enough and you think about how God put it there for your enjoyment, just such delight, isn't there? Everywhere. Yeah, it everywhere. opens the world up for us. Yeah, yeah. Actually, you get yeah. You start to see a real bird rather than just memes of birds. Uh, it it <laughs> uh, it opens the windows again, uh, and the whole world comes to life. That's yeah. so awesome that you're doing that, and that your kids get to experience that. Uh, they'll just assume that's a normal, good thing to do uh, as a creature God created in God's world. Yeah. Well, Zach, thanks for thanks for cracking the op- the window open for me, and thanks for uh, helping the people of Salt City Church uh, see you. God's perspective in Ecclesiastes. Okay, I got to ask you the three questions to end rapid fire. Yeah. Okay, okay. So rapid fire, here they come. <laughs> if you could go to one concert, social gathering, or sporting event right now, you got a four hour gap. What would you go to, and who would you go with? If I could go right now. Uh, I would uh, go with my 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 kids, my my wife and kids, and and uh, we'd go see Switchfoot. Nice, nice Switchfoot. Okay, yeah. if you had to eat one meal, if you want to know about Ecclesiastes, of- by the say, by the way, listen to Switchfoot's album on whatever that was, the Beautiful Meltdown or something like that. It's all okay. It's Sweet. All Sweet, I'll check it out. I'll check it out. Um, if you had to eat one food for the rest of the quarantine. What would it be and why? Spaghetti. Because it's filling and you can do a lot with it. I like it. Yeah. Just a straightforward answer. Yeah. A simple, simple, good carbohydrate. That's would right. you have meatballs? I would have meatballs uh, sometimes. And uh, if, if I can put some other things in there, you know, you can, you can mix and match a little bit. Keep it, keep it going. <laughs> okay. Sweet, sweet. I like it. And if you could add, I'm sure, I mean, you love your family. We've been talking about contentment with our, our situation. But if you could add one person from history to your quarantine, who would it be and why? That's so fun. Oh, man. Uh, probably, uh, I, I, I would want to hang out with the 1990-91 Chicago Bulls basketball team. Yes! That makes me so happy. I think that would be pretty cool. Which, <laughs> you got Dennis Rodman and Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and Tony Kukoc and um, Steph Seeker. <laughs> and I don't know. There's a whole cast of characters there. It would be really make life interesting each yes. day. Are you, are you watching The Last Dance? I just saw that. Uh, I just uh, saw that it's out yesterday. And that's that's why it popped right into my head. It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that'd be interesting. <laughs> I'd be there with you. I'd be there with you. All right. All right. On that note, you know, I love whiplash, the whiplash effect. So we're just good. I'm just going to ask you to pray and then we'll call it good. Does that okay. sound good? All <laughs> Sounds right. great. All right. Thanks, Zach. Thank you, Lord, for uh, thank you for knowing. Uh, thank you for knowing how to weep with us and knowing how to celebrate with us. In Jesus name. Amen. All right, guys, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Zach, for joining us. And uh, hope to see you next week once again on the Salt City Church podcast, live from Ronda the Honda. We'll have another guest sitting shotgun digitally and hopefully have a great conversation that brings grace into your life. 